0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole here with Benji Nyson on a Friday arvo for a pretty leisurely Giro Stage 13 from Ravenna to Verona, 199 kilometres, about zero metres altitude gain, to an intermediate sprint for Ciclamino, and then for bonus seconds, Sagan so is in the Ciclamino jersey, and this was going to be a bunch sprint. No questions, no ifs, no buts, even though Cavania tried some echelon action with like 50Ks to go. He couldn't fool me. If you're watching Cavanya trying to do that with 50Ks to go, you're a true to respect to you, but get some help, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. No offense intended. Okay. In all seriousness, the break went with the familiar suspects: Revi, Marenga, and Pello. Their DSs only want to put them in breakaways that have a zero percent chance of success. Love it from Androni. I mean, what are they doing with Pello? Uh, it, it actually is a waste of his talent. He's very strong, and uh, Savio puts him in these breaks. It's, it's a waste of time. But, he's going for. He's going. Yeah, what's he going for? There is some method to the madness, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. There is a huge method undergoing all of this, and it's the fact that. <laughs> There's this classification with the amount of kilometers you go into a breakaway. Who is in the break today? Marengo and Pelo. Who is at the top of that standing? Marengo and Pelo. I think they both care about the standing. They saw that the other one went and they followed him. And Is it an Pelot, official
0: RCS thing? Is, is it's it an like official a...
1: RCS thing. Really? And um, as an extra to that, Pelo actually dropped Marengo for a tiny bit in the race <laughs> to try and gain even more kilometers. On his closest competitor, yeah, so we we don't really care, but it's really fun <laughs> to see people play uh To see that classification even play a role in the Giro is it's just funny, but yeah. like you said, nothing happens in the stage. I don't really uh have too much to offer. Then the break was caught, and Cavania had some fun, and that's about it. And we went for the uh for the mass sprint in the end. And to be honest, uh, we had a few candidates yesterday that we mentioned. You said Nizzo, I said Viviani. I was thinking this morning perhaps Runewegen might make his comeback or something. Yeah, we, we,
0: we didn't talk about him enough. We missed out talking about CoronaVegan yesterday on a, on a stage like this. Serious candidate. gone.
1: Yes, and I think when it comes to the teams that were trying to take control, it was Quebec that, take, that took control early. quite early indeed with 2.8 yeah. to 2 kilometers
0: to go. And if you've got no, six people… Was it 6K ready? Six, okay. 6Ks six, six, six to go. There, there's a lot of road furniture. There's some roundabouts, you know, the usual stuff after a sleepy day. They came to the front really early with Campana's full train. They had, I think, Volshaid on the back wheel, marking uh, Nitzolo's back wheel in the European Champs jersey. DSM with Nicolas Roche were moving up, I presume, for Max Cantor super early as well, and they ended up nothing happening for them at all. Uh, either. I think he came 8th. Bernal and quick uh, Ineos moved up. I mean, Ghana a man on his own, a lead out of his own, he moved up Bernal. They're going for the 3 Ks to go, just trying to keep Bernal safe. There's a choke point, actually about, I think, 35 Ks to go, where it really narrows and squeeze them in. Ghana was making sure Bernal's front 10 wheels going through that. They get to the 3 Ks and Bernal disappears now that he's safe with the 3 kilometer rule. And yeah, quick, Quebec moves it up really early. But then disappeared. And you've got, I think, two Ks to go. Crunch time. Bora moving up Sagan late. they got two lead-out men off their last man. You've got the Jumbo-Visma train moving up with, I think, uh, Atheni as well. No David Decker. Is David Decker? He's abandoned, right, Benji? Did he? I didn't know that. Did he? He did not He's just doing lead-out duties. Yeah. I'm surprised. Okay, I'm... Um, Wow. Well, given how the sprint played out, I thought he must have advantage. So got <laughs> Decker, a pretty strong lead out. Jos van Enden, Decker, and Afini for Gronavegan. That's pretty solid. And they moved up early. And at 1K to go, Jakob and it's solo is nowhere to be seen. They've done all the work leading him out really early. Bora on the front with two riders. Sagan on the back of Dylan Gronavegan. Viviani's moved up late as Kofidis have tried to do. So, yeah, were you concerned, Benji, when you saw Kofidis really deep but with two lead-out men for Viviani at, like, 1,500 metres to go? Were you like, not a problem, though, Consani will move him up late?
1: I was thinking so. I, th- I was thinking that they were looking pretty okay in that. I think that for the entirety of the Giro so far, that that was their memo trying to come up late into the last kilometre and then moving past the sprinters with at least Consani still ahead of Viviani. And I think they tried to do the same today. And, uh it didn't really work out. They tried nope. to move up early on, 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 I think, 800 meters to go on the right side of the road. Then there was uh, a roundabout, not a complete roundabout, but like a straight one where you just go just around yeah. the roundabout they and peddling. continue onwards. Yes, indeed. And I feel like Consani was already the last man ahead of Fiviani uh, at that point. And if that is the case, then ah, it's going to be troublesome to make that exact move of trying to close down in the last 300, 400 meters. But... There was actually something interesting in that because we saw that the umbo indeed was at the front for a majority of the time, and, and suddenly one of their runners went clear.
0: Eduardo Afini, there's this slight right hand bend. As Benny you said, you, you can keep pedaling through it. Nitzolo with 900 meters to go, I'm going to count it, I include the screenshot. He's like 12 wheels back, and there's a bunch of runners in front of him. He's not on Viviani's wheel. He's not on Gronewagon, Sagan, or Gaviria's wheel. Terrible position. Terrific position with 900 metres for Nisola. And I sing it. here we go again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. He was on Viviani's wheel. I thought he was going to move up with Consani's move. He lost that wheel. And it's tough to move up from there if everyone leads out normally. But that's not what happened. Affini jumps ahead of the Bora last two lead-out men into that right-hander. And he kicks really hard out of that corner. I think he was supposed to be doing a hard lead out for Grunewagen. He said in the post-race interview, Oss loses his wheel. I don't think intentionally. I just don't think he could keep the wheel because it doesn't really benefit. I don't see how that benefits him or Sagan in any way to let Offini go up the road. And he, flicked, he eventually, with 500 metres to go, we've got Offini. I mean, this is the guy. He came second in the opening TT, Benji? Yes, it's- Correct. He's looking in magic form, Eduardo Affini, better than in years, and a strong guy, and he's got a huge gap, massive speed difference because Oss was the man left to pull, and Oss flicks behind him, and who's there? It's either Decker or Gronavegan, and they say, no, thank you. We're not closing down Affini. Eventually, Molano pulls for a little bit for Gaviria, and then Gaviria jumps at like 350, 400 maybe. It was really long trying to close down Affini. Nitsolo. He's moved up in all this chaos with Oss failing to close that gap and the speed slowing. He's moved up on the right hand side, Giacomo Natsolo, all on his own. He'd had Kampanas and Volscheid weren't able to do anything for him in the last 1500 meters, pretty much, despite I think Volsheid dropped his chain and Kampanas. I just, he finished 20th. I just literally don't know what he's doing in the lead out. Makes no sense what he's doing. And Natsolo moves up on the right hand side slips onto Gaviria's wheel. Gaviria gaps Sagan and Gronavegan. That's an important point. Uh, they let his wheel go off his initial burst, and Nisola was strong enough to jump onto that. Slingshot across then, bridging across to Athene, we're now into the last 100 metres, gets to the slipstream of Eduardo Athene, comes out of it. He's gapped everyone off his wheel and wins at a canter, beating the other sprinters by bike lengths and bike lengths, and Eduardo Atheni coming second. I'm just looking at the finishing shot. Easy poster for Giacomo Solo taking his first Giro d'Italia stage win after 11 second places after yes. being first across the line in 2016 and being relegated. What a win from him. Benji, how impressed were you from this performance?
1: It was a really impressive sprint because you mentioned every detail. He went across everybody in the lead up towards the last 200 meters. He rode very tactically in the last 150 meters, thinking, where should I use my draft? Let's try and follow Gavri on the left first, then move towards uh, Affini on the right of the road. And then at the right moment, just swing past Affini to the line. Affini honestly held on a very long time. Crazy man strong. really has an engine. Yeah. I think uh, I'd love to see him try this on the Champs-Elysees for meme purposes. Um, <laughs> but to be fairly honest, Nizola was just... Plainly better than everyone today. Viviani was caught up on the other side of the road, decided to try and come past on the opposite side of Nizzolo, but that ain't going to work if everybody's next to that barrier. So that wasn't uh, going to work in any way. And I think that made him completely out of contention. For example, I don't think I really noticed Grunewagen that much in the last section. Was he even in the top 10 in the end?
0: He was just following wheels. I pretty yep. sure Dance. just don't follow wheels at the, yeah. Before we get to the state, the top 10 results, I want to mention our show partner, LaCole. They've just hit 500,000 riders in their Strava club. If you want to join their Strava club, the link is in the bio down below. They always have discounts and challenges for you to get involved with LeCol. I know we have our discount code LRCP20 for all the coal kit they have there at the moment the project aero Strava challenge which is starting I think today record 300 active minutes complete 160k ride in under six hours either of those two things for two chances to win the complete Lacole mclaren project aero collection which is valued at I think over a thousand Euro if my maths is correct. So well worth joining that if you're someone who gets in the K's, or maybe it's an opportunity to get them in yourself. And thanks to Cole for supporting the podcast. But here's the full top ten results for the Giro d'Italia stage 13. It's solo first, Atheni 2nd, Sagan third, Chimelai 4th, Gavidia fifth, oldani sixth. Not doing a bad job, Oldani Filotto with no Ewan. Pascal on seventh, Canta eighth, Viviani ninth, and Gronavek in 10th. I think. I think Nit Solo got quite lucky today, and he deserves that luck. He's had post some bad luck. His lead out I thought was terrible, and he was so deep, and he got lucky that Gaviria panicked and jumped, got that slipstream, he's a slingshot to Athene. But you know, you get bad luck, you get good luck. On another day, he might have been relegated in 2016 or whenever it was, and he had the best legs of anyone. And speaking of that lead out, Benji, that's what I want to talk about now. Do you think with a better lead-out, he might even be someone racking up three, four Grand Tour wins a year? And do you know any teams with a good lead-out that might need someone like him?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think uh,
0: <laughs> The most think leading that... question ever.
1: <laughs> I think if you put a good lead-out like, for example, let's say hypothetically a Merkur <laughs> ahead of him, then yeah. he can be in a consistent position to be competitive 90% of the sprints, just like Bennett does whenever Merku does it. So that is the ideal situation for a quick step. We know that the Koenig is going to stop sponsoring Quickstep next year, so I'm already calling them Quickstep again to get into the moment. But if Quickstep next year needs a sprinter, they're looking now at Sagan. And I honestly, if we look at purely the performance qualities, I think that Nidzolo is a better rider for them to sign than Sagan is. In the sprints needs is a better sprinter than Sagan on Edibon the flat sprinter. it's clear yes on the on the small cobble terrains like for example again wevelham or kurner bristol kurner i believe that Nizolo is a better He's candidate than Sagan.
0: yeah with a strong once team.
1: we go to the actual cobble race i think that Sagan is a better option but they've got such a good cobble team anyway they've got Asgren. they've got alaphilippe like Seneschal, whoever, well, they haven't all re-signed yet, but I think two of those have re-signed. And they're probably gonna re-sign even more people. I think Ballerini re-signed, but I'm not actually sure about it. So um a lot of Would people you, are yeah. re-signing of that, and they're gonna have people for the couples, So that's not the area where they need people. The area where they need people is to have a sprinter on the flat that can be one of the best, yep. like Sam Benetis. Yeah. And I think Nizolo can replace that very, very perfectly. I think that Nizolo has a higher potential if he has a genius lead out ahead of him and the Koenig can offer that and that's kind of my take on that I think that if you consider sponsor value of Sagan and so forth this could be a very lengthy discussion I I don't know what's your take on that aspect
0: well I mean for pure sporting performance if you're signing Sagan for the cobbled races you're signing giving someone 2 million euro to be your third best cobbled rider like it's that's with a 50% discount on his current salary or more. I know the sponsors might chip in for it, et cetera. But, yeah, they need a bunch of sprinter. Jakobsen, we, we want him. We're the first people to want yeah. him to be back next year, and we rated him so highly pre-crash. But, like, realistically, we don't know what condition he's going to be in next year. I'm not sure Lefebvre can bet the farm that he's going to be top three best sprinters in the world by 2022. Of the people available out of contract, Nitsolo is by far the best sprinter available. Cavendish. Okay, yeah, Benji. I mean, <laughs> Cavendish and Griple, they are back, baby. But yeah, for <laughs> for actual grand tours, Nitsolo, I think, is the man. And uh, some, as Benji said, the light cobbled races. I think, yeah, he's a serious candidate, and he's—he just keeps—he's just so consistent too. And sprinting's just about—you know—if you're there up in the front getting enough opportunities, being dropped off at 170 to go, it doesn't matter that, yes, we say it all the time, we've said it about 10 times this year, Ewan's the quickest man. We think Ewan's the quickest man in the world. Ewan hasn't won that many sprints this year. He got it right twice in the Giro, but he loses a lot too, and not just loses, but can be like 10th or 12th. We saw it in the Giro, the stage earlier one. didn't Ewan was nowhere, right, Benji, because if no. the lead-out doesn't work, you, you can't contest no matter how much better you are and the quick step lead up puts you right there day in day out and that's why they win so many races so yeah we i think that is a good chance and i don't think he'd be that expensive either i think he'd be cheaper than sam bennett benji i mean sam bennett won the green jersey cleaning up Tour the france stages left and right i think Nitsolo would be a discount on uh on him but we got another topic which we'll talk about after a preview stage 14 i just want to this is the Cittadella Monte Zoncolan stage, 206 k's long. We've got two main climbs for Cielo Monteres, 10.5 k, six percent. Bit of a warm up climb. I think the average gradients. Oh, there's some steep k's in there, but I don't. I don't expect any action there. And the, the stage is all about Zoncolan, 14 k's, eight and a half percent. It's a different side. I think still difficult. The last, it's the last three Ks that are hard. The first ten Ks, eyeballing it, seven percent, six and a half percent average gradient. The last three Ks, twelve point six, twelve point six, thirteen point three. So average is nine percent in total. But the last three Ks is where it's all at. I called Carthy for this stage a couple of weeks ago. I still feel pretty good about that. I think he's looking in pretty good condition, and I think it's going to be. Carthy and Vlasov. I think Bernal will be strong, but I think he won't. I think there'll be small GC time gaps. They'll just be worrying about the steep section. I don't actually think this will be that exciting a stage, to be honest. I think it'll be just a grind in the last three Ks. And I think Bernal will uh, just ride his own pace and allow Karthi or Vlasov to have a 10, 12 second lead. Probably Karthi. I think Vlasov is more likely to mark. How do you see the stage playing out?
1: I don't think break wins this. Ah, To be honest... (laughs) God damn it, it's it's Ineos in the lead. This Giro. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if there's one stage that someone should try and hammer it, a team should try and hammer it from the peloton and take control to try and get this stage, I'm looking at an Astana or an EF, for example, then I'd call this one. But to be honest, like... Why should they base 100 kilometers to keep the breakaway on three minutes if they can just fight out GC 10 minutes behind? Exactly. So uh, I don't think it's going to be the Peloton, but I would love to see the Peloton win this stage. I think that when it comes to the um, Peloton, I'm indeed looking uh, looking at Angleru last year because that is kind of the place where we can see these gradients. The problem with this climb is that They're going to wait until the last three kilometers because the last three kilometers is the steepest. You know that. And I think for the first portion of the climb in the peloton, you will see in your space until that three-kilometer section. And at that three-kilometer section, then somebody will make a move. I think that Vlazov and Carfi are the names that I've been shouting for this stage for a while now. I think I had Vlazov and you have Garty on the the Giro preview selection for this stage. Peloton-wise, I think I agree with that. From the breakaway, Yeah, that's not going to happen from the breakaway. So if it's a breakaway rider, who are you looking at, for example?
0: Yeah, who's Moloma? I mean, it's tough. Who is good enough to – because they're going to lose buckets of time in those last three caves, even if they've got a four-minute gap. Like if they've been working hard all day, Mm -hmm. they can crack. It needs to be a huge break. I'm looking, Benji. Cepeda's the name, but we're hoping he does something. We've been saying him all (laughs) the last month. Don't see it really. Mater's not there anymore. I don't know. I have a feeling that who is a good enough climber? Ana Rubio, Antonio Pedrero, Then Martin in the break is to close in GC, right? Well, that's the topic we're going to talk about in a second, Benji. But I think <laughs> we're going to talk about Tan Martin's comments the other day. But I think what what Moistar I think will happen needs
1: to be in the break.
0: I know Pedrero and kind Yeah, you'd think surely Velella. Um what, what I would like to happen this is mm-hmm. what I'd like to happen and what I think Ineos should do I'm not sure whether it will happen I think Bernal should go for the jugular tomorrow I think the way the Zonkalan climb is and the way this stage is set up is perfect for yep. Bernal and Ineos because they don't have the high mountains riders but the hardest part is in the last 3Ks where he can do it himself For Monte Rest, 10K, 6% Gana can do that and maybe even make it over with the group. He can then pace the valley afterwards as a little roller afterwards. Maybe even Puccio can do that climb, but they they could hit that cat too hard. It's just a long way from the start of the Zonkland. So maybe they don't even bother. But the base of Zonkalan, 6% first case, 7.5%, 7.3%. Gana can do the first three or almost gone. You've then got Narvaez, and you need Mar- they need Martinez to do a shift tomorrow as well. If they can somehow have their team pace for the first nine Ks, um, if I'm Bernal, I just go for the jugular on the last three Ks and attack if I feel good because I think no one can go with him. If he does go super hard on the Zonkalen and get some real time, like 45 seconds on Vlasov, Vlasov's better than him in the TT. I know we've got harder stages to come, but if you feel good, you feel good and you go for it. And, Stage 15 shouldn't be any GC action, and then obviously, we've got, you know, it's a pretty the Cortina the stage stage discussed in, but that's not a mountaintop finish. You're gonna have to make a gap on Paso Gao, then there's a descent, it's a hard stage, no doubt. But if you feel good tomorrow, Bernal, I'd say give the orders to uh to pace on the Zonkland. Do you think what percentage chance do you think they have of that happening? That doesn't mean they win, by the way, that just means the breakers still win. Do you, do you see that happening because they kind of did that on the uh on the gravel stages?
1: I think that that strategy would definitely uh, work in his favor. Can he just drop them instantly on that steep section? 100%. I think so as well, actually, the more I think about it. But can he keep it up till the line? If he makes that move at the start, I, I would expect him to be able to keep that up. I do think that this might be the point where it's a bit risky to go very early on that steep section. So... It kind of depends on where on the steep section you would launch with Bernal. Automatically true, L- of will
0: or... lead him out. True, Vlasov will lead him <laughs> out. Anyway. So, Carlton's of no, will attack and maybe he just, can just counter off then. But I would still make the climb a bit harder what do you... if I'm Bernal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, do you,
1: what do you think that Caruso can do on this stage and perhaps even in the coming week? Because like Caruso's in the top three of GC. He's been under the radar for this entire race attacking on that. Stage nine in the middle of the stage with that rocket attack that eventually Mohoric in that breakaway crashed out. He's honestly been riding really, really good. He's got the tram trail on the last day to take a minute perhaps on Bernal. He's currently outside of a minute on Bernal, obviously. But do you think he can sustain that podium place even on like Zonkulan? I think Zonkulan, honestly. I don't
0: think so. I, think, Caruso, ba- I, think, I, think, I think Buchmann and Simon Yates are coming. Simon Yates yeah, looking very ominous. Yep. On the uh, Montalcino stage, uh, he had good legs that day, that's for sure. And what about him for the win tomorrow? Do bike exchange say the, the last seven stages are starting? It's time to get serious. And they pace for, uh, yeah, do they pace for Simon Yates? Or does Simon Yates actually go for the stage? I mean, they've got Nieve, Nick Schultz, Ganger, Hepburn, Jensen. underrated team, I think. Could be and an option, like, but we just don't know how... They don't like-
1: need those riders on the on the climbing section, so they can use them on the flat section to keep that gap to the break on three minutes and try to go for the stage. Definitely That's the kind of team that America, could yeah. do that, but like looking at that team, would you use them on the Zonkalon stage if you've got the benefit of the last week and a half where Yates is kind of on the background of the GC riders a lot? And For example, on the Montalcino stage, everybody was talking about Dremko, about Bernal, and... Yates disappeared five times, like was dropped on the first gravel section, came back and then suddenly was hanging behind between that group. Like a lot happened with Yates and and he actually was definitely back by the end of the stage. But it it looks like he's getting a bit of an incognito mode in this show so far.
0: Yeah, I think he's one to watch out for tomorrow. The man we mentioned should be winning this from the breakaway. He, he'd be, uh, he, if he was 14 minutes back on GC, we, I'd be picking him to win this stage 100%. Dan Martin, the Irishman on Israel, Startup Nation. And we're a bit late to this uh, topic, but I guess there's been no GC action at all the last two days. And at the moment, Dan Martin is seven minutes, I believe, Back on GC now that is the worst distance to be back on GC because especially as he is a sort of seen as a GC threat because he's not going to be allowed to get in a 10-12 minute break because Trek and DSM and Bora they don't want him to come back to be three minutes back on GC or things like that so they're not going to allow him in a break but he's also not in GC contention if he stays in the GC group. Dan Martin's not making seven minutes back. So it's just the worst It's the worst of both worlds. And he finished in the group in the Bagno di Romagna stage yesterday. <laughs> he didn't lose any more time. He lost all that time on the Montalcino stage. And after that stage, you'll not, you remember on that stage, did he drop in, in the first Dorado section when Ganapesh Benji? Is that what happened? Yeah, he was completely
1: off on the on the first Serato section already. It looked like uh, I, I barely saw him at the front of the race going into that section even. I think that he seemed to make the uh, decision for himself to to play it safer, and that's very risky for GC, obviously. I Yeah, if, if you want to survive that section, if you want to do the best of your capabilities to try and get over these Serato sections with the front people, you need to be at the front end going into the Serato sections, and you need to make sure that... You try and follow as much as possible, I'm guessing.
0: I've got a light roast ready, Bendy. Just a light roast. Just okay. A, yeah, you know, not brood too high at altitude. He had a few comments after the stage, Dan Martin. He said, I told my wife this morning that I won't crash. So for me personally, cycling is not worth the risk. I can't disagree with that. I almost think it's irrational the risks these guys take for the money they are paid. You know, Life-altering crashes happen regularly. I, I can't disagree with that. If someone doesn't want to take the risks on the downhill – I certainly wouldn't," he said. "I had guys crashing all around me on the first section of gravel, so I just did my own pace. I nearly came back, but my license is road cycling, so it's not my thing. Fair play to the guys who are at the front, but I just didn't want to take the risks today, and that's it. The cycling fan in me thinks this is a beautiful stage, but I don't have much experience. No excuses. Just didn't feel like taking the risks. Now, again, I've said, you know, if you don't want to take risks, that, risks, that that's fine. But what the fuck were you doing for the first? 10 stages of the Giro, Dan Martin, If is this a surprise to you that there was gravel, 35 yeah. kilometres of it on Montalcino? Like we knew this was coming months ago. Benji and I recorded a clips for, uh, thing for Bernal saying, yeah, Bernal's going to dominate this stage because it's so nasty. Like two months ago, everyone knew this was coming. If you didn't want to take the risks, which fair enough, when Ganna's smashing it and I don't know how that's a surprise to you that there was going to be some attacks on the gravel sections. Then why do you ride for GC for the first 10 stages and have your team do that? And then after you've lost seven, and why are you protecting a seven minute gap? Like surely when you let it go, you go, like, oh, okay, GC's done. But let some more time go out to 15, 20 minutes. So you can at least go on a break. Instead, he's finishing in the GC group on Banya de remind stage. What is that achieving? So, I mean, I am, it's one of those things where Jacoene, I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to pre-roast Jacoene. I'm telling you, he's going to lose big time week three, and win, and it's going to be like, why didn't you go for the stages in week one? I have no idea how Dan Martin approached this year. Emmanuel Bookman, he did Strada Bianca for the first time this year, preparing specifically for the Montalcino stage. One would think, and I heard Dan Martin's saying it was chaotic, and I certainly would have been dropped, but apart from Remco, it was a huge group. And all the other, and Remco's a guy that's crashed on a downhill and doesn't have that much road cycling experience. All the other GC contenders, some less experienced than Dan Mutt, were perfectly fine in that group and went to the finish pretty much together, apart from Bernal's late attack. So I don't think it was that hectic. And I wouldn't say there was carnage on Montalcino either. So yeah, I think just a... Just a weird decision from Dan Martin. Did he just decide that morning? No, not for me. What You got any f- further thoughts on that, Benji? Am I being too harsh?
1: No, not really. I think that you've actually got a good point. If you're prepping the entire GC of this Giro in the first 10 stages like that, and then you come to Montalcino and you decide on the first Serato section, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not even going to risk like taking these corners riskily. Uh, they're going to try and bring me back after every Stratto section. You're basically throwing away the GC that the entire team has been fighting for for 10 stages. And that's exactly what happened. Like, can't say anything more than that. He just lost a lot of time. And even after that stage, he now stays close in he GC. He can't go on the break. He can't go on the break. He's tomorrow. too close, yeah. and He's <laughs> Formula 2. Yeah, Formula as it well. Makes- but Formula, I think, had a had a mechanical in, a, in, in yeah. Montalcino, which, yeah, he can't do much about, but yeah. still... He maybe think, should have decided afterwards yeah. that he should have changed his way and should have chosen to go for the uh, for the breakaway stage instead. I think that would work. I think there's a lot of stages that fit formula in the last week as well. So definitely a candidate for those kind of stage if he had the time behind necessary to go in the breakaway. And I think in the last week, nine minutes behind is going to be good enough to get in the breakaway. We're moving into that, but not in the early days of that. I don't think on tomorrow's stage, for example, Dan Martin is going to get away. Uh, i just don't see it happening
0: i think maybe now maybe he'll be allowed to attack out of the gc group i guess but i just think people will follow him and I, no. I get it if you come to like the the last stage a crazy mountain stage it's raining and sleeting and the uci commissaires don't neutralize it when they're supposed to and this there's just this crazy hairy descent that would have been okay and the in the dry but then in the wet it's completely treacherous and you're like I'm taking this easy because I don't want to go off the side of the mountain you can't really prepare for that but yeah we knew this was coming I think preparing for the Montalcino stage is just basic part of going for GC and you should have been reconning it and riding it but uh that's all from the men's Giro d'Italia big GC stage hopefully tomorrow and now on to our women's Weltra Burgos coverage stages 1 and 2 Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge, and Podcast, supported by La Cole. we We're now going to proceed on to the Welter Burgos Feminas 2021 Stages 1 and 2 recap. Stage 1 was yesterday, but to be honest, there was only 15 kilometres of live coverage and it finished just before the end of the Giro, so we thought we'd bundle it together whilst this boring Giro stage is happening and Benji and I can do Stages 1 and 2 together. We just finished watching Stage 2. Stage 1 first from Villa Diego sargentes de la lora 100 kilometers long these are some interesting parkour in burgos if you if you are maybe a bit skeptical about women's racing think it plays out the same way every time i'd encourage you to go and look at these two first stages and the parkour of this week we have a proper mountaintop finish we have rolly parkour balanced parkour not just a punchy one kilometer climb at the end i really like what they've done here with the parkour this stage 100k's Rolling climbs: 2Ks 4.2%, 1.7Ks 5.2%. The main action start is really the last 10Ks. There's the Alto de la Lora, 4Ks at 6%. It then crests with 7Ks to go, about 6Ks to go, and then they have a 2 to 3% drag up to about a thousand meters altitude. So not a nailed-on race for the pure climbers like. Uh, cecilia ludwig van der breggen or van Vleuten who are all in attendance this is a world tour level race unlike the men's race but emily didrickson benji i mean she's moved over to track segafredo and she got on the break early before coverage started what do you think if you were her what would you be planning on doing just trying to get some form back in the legs is that why she's attacking early on a stage that doesn't suit her too much former world champion Honestly, I'm guessing
1: that. She hasn't had the best period on the bike recently. And I think she's trying to figure out um, how she can get into a, a form that she can compete in pretty uh, pretty soon again. And I think that going to races is one part of that. But being active in those races improves that as well. And it, it shows herself for the team as well. So I think that's a bit of an improvement too compared to a few uh, of the races she's done before. And um, I think that in this stage waiting is not really something she can do unless she will end up being a rider that will be domestique on the last climb i'm not sure that was in the plans of the team so she decided to go early with a bit of an attack and uh well she uh, she didn't last too long because i think that she actually uh got caught and we had another attack she didn't van androy also going into the attack uh i think she's a cyclocrosser if i recall correctly and um f- she tried to uh build out a bit of a gap on this stage as well but to be fair like with a finish like that i think that it was clear that by the end if one rider is in the breakaway some team will take care of it it's not like they have multiple teams in the breakaway meaning that there's more teams in the break than in the in the chasing group for example trying to uh close down a gap so not the case here with a single attacker and that offered an opportunity for the chasing uh peloton to catch Shirin van Android by the time they got to the Alto de la Lora, the final climb, really. And I think it was Bike Exchange taking control, right?
0: Yeah, it was. They were pacing. I thought for Amanda Spratt, their climber here, we also had... I think uh, Saraya Paladin chasing for a little bit. We had Shapira doing work for Kasha Nivea Doma. So I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like, kind of like a Liege style climb. We're going to see Nuviodoma under Van der Breggen and Voldering going clear and Van Vleuten attacking. But this is different because we have a proper mountaintop finish at the end of this stage race. I think that is affecting how this race has been ridden and made it different to the other races. And there was basically inaction on this final, the, the main part of the climb, the climbing part. vander Bregen accelerated, couldn't really get any purchase. She had everybody right on her wheel, huge group. It hadn't been that hard of a stage beforehand, and she basically eased up. They get to the crest of the climb, big group, and Grace Brown on bike exchange attack. Now, we think of her as a, a classics rider, uh, sort of a, she's good in the, I feel like the Brabantse Pale was perfect for her. I think Liège, she's good in Liège, but she's not a contender for flesh. And I mean, she's—I think she won three ducks or Brugge de panel. She won a flat race as well, correct? She's a good late attacker. And she's attacked just when it's leveled off, 2 3%, a really annoying gradient, perfect for a strong rider like her. And she's joined by Elise Shabby, who I believe is the Swiss national champion on Canyon Tram. So yes. Nivea Doma has a rider in the break. Grace Brown in the break, meaning that Amanda Spratt has a rider in the break. break. And Neve Fisher-Black, a strong young Kiwi on SD Works, gets in there as well. So SD Works, the strongest all-around team, have a rider in the break, which means team's missing out Trek and Live Racing out of the main strong teams and Movistar with Van Vleuten, but she didn't have too many teammates up there. And we're used to, Benji, I think, the favorites always winning in the women's races. We're so used to Van der Breggen and Van Vleuten being there. We're like, oh, well, one of them or it could be a, a sprint with Volering could win. But the front three were just too strong. Did you – if you were SD Works, it's tough – I know it's good on paper to have Neil Fisher Black there, but is she ever a chance to win the sprint? And I know she was sitting on. Would you have started chasing a little bit at some point with SD Works to keep the pressure on if it looked like they weren't going to bring them back, or would you have just allowed it to play out as it did?
1: Hmm. Ah, good question. Actually, I think that it's an interesting concept because the riders that attack attack? first. First of all, like the riders that attack, Grace Brown. We're talking about her, but I think that she's actually chosen the place of her attack perfectly because I think if she attacked on the uh, climbing aspect, she's going to have much more trouble to create the gap initially. While on the plateau section on top, the false flat section on top, she can use her ruler skills because she's better at that and one of the better riders at that in total, to be honest. And she can make that move roughly just off to the top, which means that she's got that advantage over the potential domestique climbers that were still climbing in the Peloton. Shabby on that wheel indeed. That's also a rider that has been uh working a lot for her teammates yeah. in a recent period. So um Fisher Black has been in the attack a few times, also working a lot for their team. Perhaps this is kind of a way for the teams to give the riders that are in all the classics working for their leader a bit of a, a bit of a chance on a stage when here because uh True. I think that The difference on this climb wasn't going to be insane either. It was a false flat section to the line, basically. And we still had a Trek and so forth that were still setting up a tempo in that second group. The ones that missed out, Taylor Wiles for Trek, for example, which means that they can benefit from those other teams doing things. Trek is taking it on anyway. So do they need to put an extra woman in that train at the front to try and catch back their own rider? I think that's meh. I think that
0: they- Especially in a stage race.
1: Yeah, exactly. I and think that it was a good choice what they did to just leave it going.
0: You're right, as Benji said. Shabby and Neefisher Fisher Black. Shabby was in like suicide breaks in Liege or Flesh, I think, forcing other teams to chase. Uh, so she put in work there. Neefisher Fisher Black worked in those same races, chasing black, chasing back breaks denying herself the opportunities. Two Ks to go. They have a 10-second gap. They'd actually held that very stable at 10 seconds. The domestiques behind for Trekko weren't strong enough. And we got into the last K. It's 12 seconds. They finished any real climbing. It's basically 2%. You can't even see it really going uphill on the TV. And we're thinking, who's going to win? Grace Brown has been doing the bulk of the work, it has to be said. I think Shabby helping her a bit. Need Fisher-Black sitting on quite a lot. And... Grace Brown opened up this sprint really, really early. It's actually quite an in, like visually appealing sprint. Yep. They're on like a, they're on a plateau. There's this one long road through a field, no trees, on a up, up at a thousand meters altitude to this lone village. This one like brown road, and it's really w- quite wide. And you see Brown just open it up. It's kind of like stage five of the dauphine Benji, like that one road onto the airstrip uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, yep. and. Brown opens it up early and she gaps it shabby off the wheel and we can see it's already done the strongest of those riders and yeah she just wanted to go for a long sprint and she was way stronger she's been incredible this year Grace Brown I think she's one of the superstars I sort of am putting her up on the level of the other you know Nivea Doma and she's different in different sort of races but she is I think a superstar Grace Brown and Pike Exchange realized that now as well, giving her a lot, lot of opportunities ahead of Sarah Roy earlier this year, which was good from them. But here's the full results from Stage One of Burgos, Feminas. Brown first, Shabby second, Nefish Black all at the same time. Big Group comes in second. Arlenis Sierra winning that reduced that winning the group bunch sprint. Sara Paladin fifth, Bartizzolo sixth, Longobardi seventh, following Numanova. Van Vleuten 10th. So in terms of GC, Brown went into the leader's jersey, which I'm pretty sure is purple as well, Benji. <laughs> like, as if we needed any more purple, but I mean, Burgos had it first. Uh, and yeah, GC was that same order. It seemed no bonus seconds changed it. So yeah, anything, any big takeaways from that stage, Benji? Do you like the parkour design? Did you think it made more interesting racing rather than finishing at the end of the climb proper?
1: I think it Indeed, made for interesting racing because this offers an opportunity for those kind of rulers like Grace Brown to have an opportunity at the stage because otherwise you're just going to see Von Vleuten and so forth smash it on the uphill section until the line. So this plays more for more tactical stuff. You could also have seen attackers, well, real climbers attack on the climbing section and then rulers trying to catch up. Yeah, it it could have been a very different race if some other tactics were involved, but it looked like Grace Brown was setting it up for ourselves with the team entirely. and that move was quite well-timed and there was no imminent response out of outside of those two riders that were with her. And I think that all in all, a good victory for her. Whether she's a superstar in the women's cycling, I think that she's definitely near that. I think that currently the superstars in women's cycling are, are mostly Dutch at the moment. And um, I think that Grace Brown has the qualities, but indeed is a very different rider. She's got that ruler capability, which means that on races like Liège, when you said earlier, she has to make the early move because on the climbing sections she might not be able to follow an attack by an Vloten or a Borghini. So she needs to anticipate moves and work with that. If she can hang on on the climbs, then she can make a move on top, like we saw on this uh, on this first stage. So really interesting rider, really interesting how her
0: tactics will play out. Okay, but yeah, something to watch. I feel like there's some races she could definitely go for GC and be a big, big contender, especially given the lack of longer climbs in women's cycling. But that was stage one. Here's the stage two profile from Pedrosa de Val, Valdepores to Villarqueo, 97 k's long. Again, no mountaintop or hilltop finish, but we do have some climbs which should be decisive. We have the Alto, Alto de Bocos, 2.5 k's at 6.7%. Roly course, then for about 50 off. Oh, yeah 50 kilometers and then the last main climb of the day is the alto retuerta says 3.3 k's at five percent but that's a lie the climb is much longer the climbing section is just uncategorized the first half of it and you also that average gradient is a lie the first kilometer averages six and a half percent then it's pretty much flat falls flat for two one and a half k's then they do 10.2% for 500 metres, then 7.3% for 500 metres. So there's a steep kick at the end of this climb. Then downhill descent, 22 kilometres to the finish. The question would be, could the sprinters that we have here make it over this? Diedrichsen, probably not. Uh, Sierra, um, Who's that rider that won the bunch, Benji Sierra. Could she make it over? Would Demi Vollering be fine? You presume she would. So it'd be interesting to see where it played out Would we get a big attack from Anna van der Breggen. But how did the stage kick off uh, and, and when did live coverage start?
1: Well, live coverage started with three riders in the breakaway. Anastasia Chursina from alea uh, We've got Heidi Franz from Rally and also Antri Christoforu. I, I ruined that name. Christoforu, my bad. That's a feel, buddy. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: rubbing it in (laughs) Uh, i think that the most important aspect here is that chersina uh, was one minute 43 behind ngc going into the stage so whether that breakaway makes it might influence that as well but she had a bit of an issue in the uphill section she was able to drop the people that she was with relatively easily because we saw that on that uh last ascent but then in the descent she tends to ride very slowly, pretty fearfully, actually, and also in cornering as well, very noticeable. And that causes Heidi Franz, who was with her earlier, but got dropped on the climb, to actually come back to her and basically drop her again for a tiny bit until the climbing starts again, where she catches up again. So really interesting dynamic where a rider has to anticipate her weakness by attacking on the climbing section to make sure that she can actually take a bit of loss in the descent Uh, Because she's just not an amazing descender, right?
0: Horrific. Yeah, bad. Really bad in the descent. And Heidi France is flying past her and probably needed to go even quicker to try. Because once they hit, every time they went uphill, um, Kerstina was so, so quick and... Yeah, I think it just goes there's sometimes a bigger difference in descending ability within the women's peloton as well. Same team, Ale, as Corsina is Mavi Garcia. We saw that in Strada Bianca 2020 when she was in a group of two with Van Vleuten at the end. Van Vleuten was putting her under pressure on every descent and she had to do more work to close it. But it didn't really matter too much for Corsina. She was just that much stronger uh, than Heidi Franz uphill. Behind, we have no SD Works represented up front. None of the main teams are represented going for GC. So we have the peloton being paced by Anna van der Breggen on the hill. And the gap's at 120, 18 k's to go. We're coming up to this nasty hill. I'm thinking this is going to be a big GC day, and there should be a big shake-up on GC. And it looked like that might happen. We had SD Works in full force with Van der Breggen attacking. On the climb, but she again brought the whole peloton with her. And then, sorry, we don't have the exact details because the coverage completely cut out, unfortunately, on the steep section of that climb, the coverage of the GC group. We could just see the break, but we could see Nivea Doma counter. It just looked like all those riders were countering. I think going into one of the corners, Benji, ELB got caught up in a crash. There's yep. a corner where Vanderbregen was coming in. She's about to start her attack. She gets front wheels. She got Volering that fourth wheel. ELB's too far behind. She gets caught behind a crash from one of the purples, and that messes up her plans early. But it's a big group, and the group all comes back together mainly because after they sort of then got the group of favorites, names you'll typically see Nuvia Doma, uh, Mulman, Fisher Black, Mavi Garcia, and Van Vleuten. Volering. So SD Works got the big numbers and SD Works started attacking. It was just a weird order benching because yep. I thought at that point that they were going to get paced by Vanderbregen for the Volering sprint and maybe use Fisher Black as well. Were you surprised they attacked given that they definitely had the quickest rider in that group?
1: Well, certainly because uh, I think that group was thinned down a lot on the climbing section by Vanderbregen pacing, by and those attacks. No clutches left. Indeed, no climbs left afterwards, which means that if you hammer it on this climb with this group, and if you continue that going, because they've got those four riders, Fisher Black, Von der Regen, Vollering, and also Molmon in the group, I think you can spare at least Molmon as a, a domestique there. Well, not spare her, but use her as a domestique there, because I think that she's likely the one that is least expected to win this overall well, <laughs> imagine if I jinx it and she wins in a few days but I think that that's on paper oh, no, I, w- I
0: wouldn't have I wouldn't have burnt her I think I think she could go well on Laguna to okay not, I, yeah, yeah true I, true true I, she could get she could podium GC I, I would have burnt need Fisher black straight away
1: yeah but yeah I was thinking about the five seconds she had in GC but that's not worth it at all to uh to discuss that and she she should be riding indeed um I think that that was the team that I expected to make uh, the pacing and they they did some attacks then at a certain point one of them went to the front and just hammered it in a bit of a pacing section and they d- didn't really get too much close I think 120 was the closest they got 115 and once that was there we saw a bit of a downhill section again and Trisina was not really going that fast in it but that group looked like they were stopping the pacing again and I think that Mavi Garcia at a certain point was first in that group and yeah, it's a teammate of the one up front. She's not going to be pacing in that group. So I think great move yeah. by Malvin Garcia, moving ourselves in there, trying to stop the pacing that was going on. It did work because the tempo really slowed down. We saw the gap opening up to 154 at a certain point, which means if it's if it's 12K to go with 154, it's going to be difficult to catch that ride right ride expect. Even if it's a one solo rider, I still believe Churcina could do it because she's also got a decent time trial, if I recall correctly, from her uh, from her history. Yeah. So and no um, more
0: technical descending; it was kind of falls flat downhill where you just need to. Yeah. She slapped it in a big gear and was just smashing it. Well, I should mention Grace Brown had been dropped on the climb, so she was losing. She was like a minute, a minute thirty behind, so she would be losing the jersey today. I, I was still surprised, and I think it's because of Laguna Stanier coming up. Uh, SG Works was so ambivalent to the stage and to, um, I guess, keeping the pressure on. I think the reason was they had all the other GC contenders in that group. So, like, they might have been setting up a Van Vuyten attack or something like that. I mean, if they'd gapped Van Vloyten, if they'd gapped Nivea maybe then they just pace. But because they had those riders there, they thought it's not worth it just for... A Burgos no. stage win hopefully the other teams can take it up so basically Chersina just kept going and what I this is probably the biggest upset I think the biggest upset victory in women's world tour this year by far when you look at the type of winners we've had which is van uh van Vleuten I think did Emma Norsgaard win a women's world tour race it's been a, very similar names and she is I think this is her first world tour win and it's her biggest win by far yep. i think she she hasn't won since um check her wins she hasn't won since like 2017 and yeah it's a huge win for her and i guess it's it's just because of the parkour and because this is a stage race and there just aren't as many women's stage races like this so it's good to see and she was incredibly strong today behind in the group it just was a re- pretty as a massive group and a, reduced bunch of, uh, just a bunch sprint for second, Alice Barnes winning that sprint ahead of Diedrichsen, who's looking a little better the last couple of days compared to last year, Sierra coming fourth, Alonso Tomasi Duval, uh, Erich Vollering and Lynette making up the top 10. Now, trying to get the revised GC rankings for you, I believe Elise Shabby has gone into the leader's jersey because she made it yep. into that first group, and she had that five-second lead from coming second on the stage yesterday. So she's in the leader's jersey at the moment. Doesn't necessarily mean she's a favorite for this race at all. Tomorrow's stage, another interesting parkour from Medina de Palmar to Ojo Guareña 117 k's long. Rolly, no real climbs for the first 90 k's, and they did the Alto de las Soyas, 3.3 k is 5.9%. Then they got a false uh, summit, and then they have got a little bit more climbing on a ridge descent. 3.3 k is 4% climb, which crests with about 8 k to go, then a descent, and then an uphill kick at the end, which is about 1.5 k long. I don't have the exact gradients of that finish for you, but it looks it's it's uh, at least 5% from what I can see eyeballing it. The other climbs are 6%, pretty regular, and Guarenia has some steep sections in it too. It'd be an interesting stage. How do you see it playing out, benji Do you see someone who's a non-G C threat going on that last 3.3k climb and being allowed a leash uh from the sort of SD works teams? By the way, the final climb 1.2k is five percent. So I was correct. Yeah, how do you see it playing out tomorrow?
1: Well, with a bit of context on the fourth stage we have Laguna Zanela climb, which is which is 11 kilometers of climbing at 7, well, 6.3%, which means that on this stage, I don't expect the biggest GC differences yet, personally. I think that... It's a
0: fake news climb too. Yeah, must be said.
1: that's true. I think that...
0: Last 3Ks, 11%,
1: 10%. Yeah, which means that on, on stage 3, I think that we don't have the biggest GC threats. Uh, I think that this might be a stage where we again see a smaller group, like a 3-woman three, a three group on that 3.3-kilometer section just... Right away with a few people from different teams, perhaps a rider from Trek, a rider from Liv, a rider from uh, from SD Works, which means that those teams won't be pacing. And if those are in front, then good luck getting them back because you'll need quite a few people to catch that. Is someone gonna, going to hammer the Alto Alto? The, it's a bad day for me. <laughs> alto alto the de los las Hoyas. Hoyas. Yes. I live, I live in <laughs> Europe,
0: mate. I can pronounce Spanish words now. <laughs>
1: Damn it. Um, <laughs> I think uh, on that clock, I, don't, I don't think
0: they will. I don't, yeah, think, they I think, will. I
1: don't think so either. So I, I don't expect the craziest GC differences. I I think that we either see a smaller group going to the line, or we see a bit of a, an uphill sprint going on. Personally.
0: I think Brown will go again because yeah. she, she's no threat on GC. She's going to get spat on Laguna Sinaia. Like Those last three Ks, that's the climb, by the way, the, the Ivan Sosa climb. He like he wins out the stage every time. He wasn't even a GC threat last year. Him and Remco and Landa were on that climb. It's steep, that climb. the 16% section. So Brown's not a GC threat, but she's strong enough to gap everybody. And go through. With it. I think Mavi Garcia should be trying to go clear too. I don't see her climbing being good enough on that climb either. She should try. She might get too much respect though from the peloton to be allowed to go. Taylor Wills, strong rider. I think she could have a be a good option. Is Demi Vollering? She's not good enough at climbing to be a GC threat. Is she, Benji? On that sort of climb, like Liège, she was just hanging on. Yeah, I think Laguna
1: Zanella is going to be too troublesome for her. Definitely when someone like von Vlöten hammers it. Or yeah. like,
0: yeah, or the... Uh- or Ludwig. Like, this is, we never see. We spoke to Lud- Cecilia Utrecht Ludwig about this. She's very small, pure climber, and never yeah. gets pure climbs. Tomorrowish, of stage four, like, could be the sort of stage for her.
1: I think so as well. I think it fits her. I think that she's definitely one of the uh, most fitting Candidates trying to look through the other teams to figure out one candidate in um, another team. I think you mentioned pasio last time. I think for for stage four, um, yeah. So that's definitely an option as well. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a good race. We're we're going to see an overview of who is good at these kind of climbs I in tomorrow's stage. I, I I can't wait either. We don't have this option too much in the season that we get such a climb at the end of the
0: stage. So very much looking forward to it. It's on GCN Race Pass if you want to watch the Vuelta Burgos. I'm not sure which locations, but I assume quite a lot of them, are, um, probably most of them outside of Spain. So I'd encourage you to go and watch the Vuelta Burgos. It's about an hour and 10 minutes of coverage every day, and they pretty much just have the juicy bits in the last 30K. So well worth your time, particularly on a snoozy Giro stage like today. So if you don't want to watch the Giro stage, I'd encourage you to go and watch the last sort of ten, fifteen ks of Burgos Stage 2 and Stage 1. We hope you enjoyed that recap and the podcast today, and uh, we'll see you with the recaps of the stages tomorrow. Ciao.